The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into uh, hour two of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to shift gears and talk a little bit about leadership and how that uh, uh, manifests itself in different ways with uh, somebody who has a military perspective in and talks about uh, his journey to leadership in the book Tre- Treading the Deep is the name of the book by Command Sergeant Major Bradley Jones. And uh, Brad Jones joins me by phone. Brad, good morning and welcome to the show. Tom, thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, great to be here. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about... It, it almost sounds like um, your military career was a a series of accidents (laughs) (laughs) and i don't mean it to sound so flippant but 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 it it just it sounds like like you started out in one direction and then kind of went in a different direction how did that all unfold for you well it uh started with me hanging out with my best friend uh following our graduation from high school and uh he said i'd hey, I need to stop at the recruiting office. He'd already enlisted, and he was waiting to ship out. And so I just happened to be with him and went in with him. And, of course, recruiters being recruiters asked me, you know, what my plans for the future was. And so um, from there, you know, I, I took the ASVAB test to see what I qualified for. I did uh, pretty well on it. And, um, and so I decided I wanted to be a radar repairman and and so I got that you know got that job and and joined the military and shipped to basic and um, went to radar school and that turned out to be a, a whole year of school it was originally supposed to be only 22 weeks it ended up being 52 weeks um, just from delays and um, stuff like that and so after finally getting all qualified and and trained and I get sent to Fort Huachuca, Arizona, the home of the electronic proving ground and get there thinking I'm still going to work on radars and find out very quickly that I'm the army wants me to do a completely different job which is to test and evaluate uh emerging uh capabilities on the battlefield we were testing night vision goggles, um, uh, unmanned aerial vehicles, um, the, the genesis to GPS was being tested. Um, and so 
you know, that was, <laughs> that was a, a huge adjustment to, to accept. Um, and so the book talks about, you know, the fantastic leaders I had, um, you know, I talked specifically about two leaders at that point in my career that just had a huge impact on me. Brad, it's um, hard to imagine so, the military uh, sending you to do a job different than the one they had told you that you were going to do. Well, I, I think <laughs> the, the, I'm the teasing, regular soldiers. <laughs> you know, the regular soldiers would tell you, "I didn't sign up for area beautification. I want to. <laughs> I want to work on tanks. You know, or I want to drive a tank, or you know, shoot artillery or something. Area beautification is not what I signed up for." But, uh, you know, certain things go with the territory, and, and so it, um, there's that, uh, um, that period, and then I had a break in service and came back to the military, and, um, and so, like you said, there were things that were, um, could have been viewed, I guess, uh, as, in a certain vein as, uh, as setbacks, but ended up in in the long run being kind of a springboard for me and my in my career in the long run how did you come to decide um that you were going to make a career out of being in the military well when i when i left the service i, I left after my four years of active duty and um and it just and i i went and um I served a two-year mission in South America, and and during that four-year break, it just honestly it never left my system. I constantly thought about and and recognized at that at that point what the military had done for me in in my life, um, and and how much it had uh, helped me to grow as a person, um, and and so um, you know the um the decision to come back was just never far from my mind um i always kind of knew okay wherever i get settled i'm gonna i'm gonna take a look at it and i ended up going back into the guard here in utah and then was uh went uh and was uh reassigned into a mos in, in a apache unit uh uh an Apache battalion. And so, um, you know, I retrained on that and then, uh, you know, joined that guard unit, went to Virginia, got trained on the Apache, came back and then was offered a full-time position to work on them. Cause up until that point, I was just a regular, you know, one week in a month and two weeks in the summer. And, um, they offered me a position to work on the Apaches full-time, which I absolutely loved working on the Apache. And, uh, and so that at that point, things just kind of started to take off from there. And so um, we we did a deployment to uh, Kuwait. We were, happened to get there um, about a month before September 11th. And um, so we were um, abs- the you know one of the most forward deployed combat units um, at the time um, that September 11th went down and and. At that point, I mean, things started to happen in my career, and and it just kind of, uh, you know, started to ramp up. And um, you know, I ended up going from a team leader in the section I worked in in the in the battalion, um, and I ended up 
you know, rising all the way up to become the command sergeant major, the top enlisted uh, soldier in the battalion. And so um, it it was an amazing journey. I mean, I've gotten probably climbing up over 120, 130 reviews on the book, and a lot of the comments are like, what a ride, you know. Um, and so couldn't put it down, what a ride, that kind of thing. So um, obviously very grateful for those reviews. <laughs> oh, of course. The um, and, and it sounds like you were pretty comfortable working with tech. Did that predate your military service, your your comfort working Not with tech? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Um, when I sat down with the recruiters, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to go infantry or anything like that. I wanted something that was in the technical environment. Of course, this is back, this is, you know, in 84 when I graduated. So we were starting to uh, get uh, computers in the high school. And so that was the first that we'd seen of those. So I knew that um, uh, that tech was the direction I wanted to go. And while we were sitting there looking at jobs, um, a memory flashed in my mind, and I remembered that I loved to go to the airport um, in Portland and um, park along the runway and watch the planes land. And my parents used to we used to do that every so often. And um, and so the recruiters were like, "Oh, you want to be a pilot?" And I said, "No, I don't want to be a pilot. I had a really scary um, uh, flight in a twin engine." plane into a storm and thought we were going to crash and I'm like nope I have no interest in being a pilot and so then they brought up some stuff that had to do with airports and you know they're there on the screen came up radar repairman and and I just looked at him and I said you get me that job and I'll join and so that's kind of how it all began <laughs> And of course, they promised you that and gave you something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got I got the training. They 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 uh, fulfilled their obligation. They they gave me the training, which you know, in the long run, I looked at it. And when when I got to Arizona, you know, one of the um, the probably seminal parts of the book was me realizing I'm not going to work on a, on radars and. Um, and going in and, and taking the huge risk and sitting down with the E-8, the master sergeant over our, that section I worked in, uh, Jack Crumbling was his name, and um, sat down and just uh, across from his desk and told, shared my feelings. I'm like, I just spent 52 weeks training to be a radar repairman, and now I'm being told that I'm not going to work on radars. And... You know, he could have reacted a number of ways, but he um, he looked at me and and said, "Hey, let's go down to the radar lab." And of course, we went down there, and I met the guy that I was told that I was going to work for, and and um, that whole radar lab and that airfield at Fort Huachuca had been converted over to be an alternate landing site for the space shuttle. And so the the master sergeant down there told me, uh, we're all waiting to go somewhere else, so you don't want to come here. And then he said, are you going to, you know, are you in Jack's section? And I said, yeah. And he said, 
that that's an amazing opportunity. Jack will take care of you. And then we left there, and Jack said, well, let me show you some of the stuff that we do. And so he took me out to where they were flying UAVs and testing and uh, where they were testing night vision goggles. And and by the time we got done, you know, he'd taken me to a number of facilities on the base. By the time he got done, he looked over at me and said, well, what do you think? You on the team? And I said, absolutely. And um, he didn't have to do that. You know, he could have just told me, you know, shut up and deal with it. The Army wants you to do this other thing, just deal with it. But Welcome to the Army, and, soldier. <laughs> exactly. And um, That's what I kept hearing in my head, Brad. <laughs> so wait a minute, yeah. I, this isn't where I was supposed to be. Anyway, so, you know, and 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 I, wrote, I write about many other interactions with him especially, and then one other soldier at, um, that really took me under his wing and really became kind of an uh, older brother to me um, in that in that new job. And um, he ended up um, uh, getting assassinated in um, the Philippines uh, after he left. But you know we we had become really close, and um, and so that was kind of the first death I experienced in my life. And um, so there's a assassinated. How how so? Um, well, with um, he went over there to help the Philippine Army with the um, aircraft mate or the avionics okay uh, um, function in their in their aviation over there, and it was a really low profile assignment, like they were allowed to grow their hair and they didn't wear any uniforms and um, he a couple of people from the Philippine army that they were working with um, had been assassinated and they knew they knew that there were these um, guerrilla forces operating in the Philippines which I think they still are to this day um, and Roger was um, was killed um, he was basically run over by another vehicle um, he was riding his motorcycle into work in the morning and um anyway so it was all very mysterious and um that was really all the information that we got um and so i ended up um jack um asked me if i he, the family asked that uh some close friends of rogers come well i had only known roger for probably six months by that time the other people in the section um, that were close to him had known him for years and so but Jack came to me and said um, you know would you like, like to go and you know and I said absolutely absolutely it'd be an honor and so I went to uh, Missouri and um, performed the you know the uh, funeral honors for Brad and, Brad I hate mm -hmm. to interrupt but I have to take a short break here um, can you stick around so we can talk some more Absolutely. No problem. Great. My guest is uh, Bradley Jones, author of Treading the Deep. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom General stuff? Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the author of a new book called Treading the Deep. He is Command Sergeant Major Bradley Jones. And uh, Brad, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Those those commercials were absolutely entertaining. <laughs> oh, good, good. I'm glad. Um, well, let me let me ask you this, Command Sergeant Major. Um, what is that, and how do you get to be one? <laughs> well, uh, com- uh, Command Sergeant, when you when you begin the, your military service, you're starting out probably as an E1 or an E2, um, and so you know the the line goes all the way up to E9, and only one percent of uh, service members actually have the opportunity or make it to that E9 position and um, and the battalion commanders um, and brigade and division commanders always have a right-hand man and that's the sergeant major and so um, as the sergeant major you're in charge of all matters involving enlisted soldiers so you know whether it's um, matters involving with training, um, with um, uh, material. Um, the sergeant major is basically the voice of the enlisted soldier, hopefully. Um, so uh, it, when I, when I uh, got to that uh, position, we had returned from Afghanistan, and um, I thought I would be a first sergeant, which is an E-8, I thought I'd be a first sergeant for a few more years, and then all of a sudden, um, quite quite suddenly, the door opened, and and um, I was able to um, get promoted to sergeant major and became the uh, right hand man for the battalion commander, and um, and so it you know provides you with some unique opportunity and a and a unique perspective because. Um, you, do you, you know, you you see the, the, the bigger picture in a lot of ways. Do you apply for that or put yourself up for that, or are you <clears throat> just, are, are you selected? It, you, it's, a, it's a selection, um, but the, the one of the things I talk about in my book is just that, you know, I was a, I was a regular everyday soldier, but I just did the things that, um, helped my career. I always stayed in shape. I always put in to go to the next level of uh, leadership training, um, and those those things um, really benefited me um, in tremendous ways uh, when it came to promotions because I passed by people that had way more experience than I did, um, and um, and so. The the opportunities you know, they they can come quite suddenly, and so you have to be prepared for it. And so, you know, when I go up, you know, I've been retired since 2020. Uh, I still go up to the uh, aviation hangar and see the soldiers up there, you know, from my from my old battalion. And I look out there <clears throat> uh, in the formation, and I see, you know soldiers that I served with in Afghanistan who were, you know, green, uh, young soldiers who are now in the senior leadership positions. Um, and so, you know, the book is a, a tribute to them, and it's also a way of, you know, 
showing them that, look, I wasn't the strongest soldier, I wasn't the smartest soldier, um, any of those things, but I made sure that I did certain things along the way that ended up really um, having an impact on the the, um, the progression of my career. So um, those things I wanted to convey to them, and especially some of the stories um, of what some things that happened when I was a young soldier um, that are hilarious now, but were quite embarrassing back then. <laughs> Uh, some of the best stories have those qualities in common. Uh, Brad, you were serving in Kuwait on September 11th, 2001, when the uh, uh, planes flew into the towers and, and of course, uh, crashed in a field in Pennsylvania and into the side of the Pentagon. How did you hear about that event, and what was it like being in the military, especially in the Middle East, on that day? Um, well, it was afternoon for us, and we were actually out on the flight line uh, working on an Apache, and was out there with a crew, and we noticed um, that security, because we had contracted security, we were at Camp Doha, and the contract security... Um, we saw them racing around in their Humvees, and then they um, they went up into the towers at the corners of the base, and they had their weapons drawn. And we were kind of watching them um, from the airfield, and they, they must be doing an exercise. And so, anyways, I, I told the crew, I said, keep going. I'm going to walk into one of the buildings there um, next to the hangar and, and see what's going on. And because we hadn't heard anything about an exercise going on, and um, usually that's the kind of thing that you would hear about. And so I walked into the um, contracting trailer, and they had the radio going, and all the contractors were sitting at their desks, and everybody was just had the the 10,000-mile stare, you know, um, and they were all silent, and the radio was playing. And I walked in and said, "What what's going on? And they said... Uh, a plane hit the um, World Trade Center, and another plane just hit. And so, anyways, I stood there for a few minutes and listened to the reports, uh, you know, shocked like everybody else. Um, so I went back out, uh, grabbed my team, and we finished up what we needed to do, and then we went over to the um, to the chow hall. And, of course, it has all the, you know, the big screen TVs on the walls, and it's usually a place with, you know, lively with conversation and stuff, kind of a, you know, there's a level of noise always in the in the chow hall. Sure. We walked in, it was dead dead silent. And I, I'll never forget, um, you, know, get, you know, getting our food and everybody silent and kind of, you know, grabbing their stuff and watching the screens all around the room. But I'll never forget looking at, is of a number of other soldiers who I did not know. I mean, there were plenty of units there. And there was a look in everybody's eyes. And it, I can only really describe it as resolve. And it, 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 you know, it, it's game on. We, we knew, we knew, like, that we were absolutely going to be involved in whatever uh, transpired next. And 
of course, from that from that time, that you know changed everybody's lives in the military um, for the next twenty twenty something years. So, in the in the the days and weeks and I suppose months following that day, did you notice in in your career and maybe in the careers of of soldiers around you an acceleration? Um, absolutely, and especially an acceleration in um, promotions. That's what I was thinking, in advancement. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, the, the deployment cycle um, has, has some, you know, some ancillary effects on things, and one of those effects was that I saw soldiers that um, were, would normally have w- waited, you know, five to ten years for a certain rank, getting that rank as, very rapidly within a couple years. I mean, there's there's eligibility um, restrictions. You, you have to have been in the military so many years or been so many years in the grade that you're at. They call it time in grade and time in service. Um, and I saw soldiers, as soon as they hit that mark for, like, time in grade, getting promoted um, whereas before they would have waited a number of years um, to see that promotion. And then everybody was kind of used to that. Well, now everybody's used to, you know, being uh, having that opportunity um, come very rapidly. And so um, that's one of the things that I talked to young soldiers about was, you know, staying, staying in shape and, and um, you know, progressing in the the schools that you're offered by the military, taking the first opportunity to take those schools when when they're offered to you, things like that. I, I said, um, you know, you'll if you're if you're going to go on a deployment as an as an E5 or an E6 rather than an E7, um, that's a lot of money you're leaving on the table. And so um, it was just one of the things that I really tried to emphasize with young soldiers. And what branch of the service were you in? Was it the Army? Yeah, Army National Guard. Okay. Regular Army for my first enlistment, and then Army National Guard for the rest of my career. And how was... Now, a big part of this book, uh, Treading the Deep, um, you know, it's in some ways it's it's a memoir, but in other ways it's... uh, kind of a a book of lessons learned as it relates to leadership most of us think about when when you talk about leadership in the military in the same sentence we think of it as being a very uh, top-down corporal kind of environment Um, but yet the you know we were joking a little bit in the uh, earlier segment about how when you signed up, you signed up for a particular job, and then as soon as you got, um, you know, where you were going to be assigned, uh, they, they put you on a different job. <laughs> and, and you know, we sort of joked about, well, you know, welcome to the Army soldier, but that's not the way you were treated at all. You were actually uh, uh, the guy that you were going to be answering to and working for um, was actually uh, quite warm. In, in receiving you and, and showing you around and indoctrinating you into where you were going to be. Is that more common than we think it is looking in from the outside? 
A- I mean, absolutely it is. Um, I mean, what soldier doesn't talk about uh, the, his drill sergeants? <laughs> his drill sergeants making a mark on him, you know, or, or uh, making a mark on he or she. Um, and so, you know, uh, I, I'm in contact with a number of friends that I went to a radar school. Well, we still talk about um, Sergeant Lewis B. Thompson, who was from Detroit, Michigan. Um, I can't, I haven't been able to find him, but he was our platoon sergeant for that 52 weeks while we were at Fort Gordon. He had a tremendous impact. We still talk about what he was like and the the type of leader he was. Um, and um, and then, of course, going to Arizona and Jack and Roger and, and, and there were others, um, you know, there were uh, my my squad leader, you know, Tom Parson, my uh, platoon sergeant, Elliot Diaz, uh, Bill Hagerl, um, you know, a number of other people that um, I couldn't t- talk about everybody I wanted to talk about in the book. Um, and so, you know, in this day and age, the toxic leaders get all the press, but I know that there are leaders in, in the ranks that are, are doing the right thing, are taking care of soldiers and um, leaving that mark. And so, you know, whether a soldier decides to make it a career or decides to get out, um, I can promise you that they'll have leaders that, uh, that will have affected their lives, their career, if they decide to get out of the military after, you know, a four-year enlistment. or um, they, will, they will go on into what their civilian uh, career, and um, they'll always talk about and remember their drill sergeants, their platoon sergeants, you know, those leaders that had an, had an effect on them. And so that's the great thing about the, the U.S. military is that it grooms the, the new and young soldiers to always know the position above you, but to always, you know, be ready to step up because those things can come quite rapidly. Um, and so, um, you know, those, those are important lessons I wanted to pass on to, to young soldiers. And, um, and so in writing the book, um, it was my way of, of showing them, you know, hey, this is, this is how things turned out for me. Um, and so, uh, like I said, a, a tribute to them. I, I I can't help asking if you if you saw action during your time in the military and and I'm I'm leading up to something when I when I start with that question, Brad, because a lot of soldiers that have seen um, action mm-hmm. are reluctant to talk about their experiences in the military, and let alone write a book. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I thought I'd start with that. You know, did you see action, and and if so, how was it that you were centered enough to feel like you could um, share your experiences in the military with other people through a book? Well, one of the good things about being in in Army aviation was that um, Apaches are the ones that go to the fight. So um, while we were on our deployments, um, there was never, um, there was a constant need, um, 
whenever other units were out doing things, whether they were infantry or, um, you know, logisticians and that kind of thing, they, they wanted Apache uh, close air support. So um, Apaches are put in um, pretty safe environments. We were, we were on the south side of a, uh, an airport in the northeast corner of Afghanistan and so we were up on a plateau, so we had, uh, you know, the, the eye in the sky and the capabilities to see anybody approaching us. And then, of course, we had the, the runways at our flank. So, um, you know, we were well protected and stuff. Um, but, the, I mean, we didn't see any, any action per se. Um, our base got um, rocketed. Uh, I traveled to a couple, I had soldiers at three three locations, so I traveled to see them, and um, it seemed like every time I went to another place, that, that base got rocketed, um, and so um, that's probably the, the extent of the action that, that I was near, um, <clears throat> and so, um, like I said, our Apaches and, and their missions included... Um, providing close air support for the special operations forces. We had, you know, uh, SEAL teams, Delta, and Army Special Forces uh, near, right next to our base. And so uh, we we were basically at their beck and call for the missions that they were running, plus the other missions where um, we would get the call for either a medevac, you know, an injured soldier, or, um, or we... Uh, get the call for uh, troops in contact, a, a tick, they call it. And so there was just never a time where there wasn't a, a need or, a, a, you know, a request from the military, from the Army, for us to provide some sort of support. Um, so our, our pilots just flew an, ex, an insane amount of combat hours. And, and so I think... Uh, Army Aviation, you know, the enlisted soldier is a smart one because we're the, really the only ones in the Army that send the officers into combat while we take care of things, you know, their equipment and things back at the base. Um, and so usually with the Army, it's the officers sending the enlisted into the combat, but um, that's the benefit of being an Army Aviationist. Uh, you know, uh, that, that dynamic is uh, reversed. Um, and so... Um, you know, those things, um, you know, there's, even if you don't see um, actual combat, you know, there's a level of uncertainty um, that is always with you, you know, when you're in a combat zone. And, and so, um, you know, our soldiers carried their weapons around at, at all times, unless they, were, unless they were working on an Apache, they had their weapons slung with them and and um, because there were plenty of other bases in Afghanistan at the time that were, were being attacked. Um, and we fully expected that ours would be attacked because we have Apaches there. They, the Taliban, at least at that time, knew the capabilities that we brought to the table. Um, and so, you know, they, if, if they had the opportunity, they would absolutely try to neutralize that capability. So, um, you know, those are the things that you that you deal with. And, you know, one of the other things that my book talks about is that my son um, was in my company 
and he was really? a, an Apache mechanic. So um, he was there. And so, you know, and one of the things that obviously as a father, um, there was a level of nervousness there, you know, that my son's there and, and wanting to make sure that, you know, he was um, protected and able to do his job and stuff. But the other thing that it helped me with is that it, it helped me to view all those young soldiers that he worked with as, you know, no different than him. And so, like I said, when I go back to the my battalion and I look over those, you know, those formations, I see those young soldiers who are now senior leaders um, in the battalion and, and remember that, you know, they were, they were green. They were inexperienced when we went to Afghanistan. Is and, the book um, designed for um, young soldiers <clears throat> and, and young people considering being soldiers? Or are there things that people can, can use in terms of leadership in all walks of life? Actually, both. Um, you know, the, when I started writing and, and, and working with a uh, fantastic editor, I realized that, that it had applications for outside of the military. For any organization where there's leaders and, and, um, and those that uh, they lead. And how, so, how much is hmm. leadership tied to rank? Um, you know, it's... It, it's tied in the in the about the second level uh, when soldiers get to basically like an E4, um, then they're considered a junior, you know, NCO, and so then they start the leadership track. It it starts very young, and so um, <clears throat> the good thing about the the military is that the schools are you know designed to. Um, take you, you know, wherever you're at in, in your um, in your knowledge of, of leadership and stuff and, and teach you um, and begin that track and, and teach you how to be a good leader. I mean, um, there are, like I said, the, two, there's the, the toxic leaders get all the press, which, which is unfortunate, but there are um, fantastic leaders out there who are taking care of soldiers and doing the right thing. And so... Um, you know those those things um, are are uh, instituted to start early in that soldier's career. So the application, um, you know, if a if a young person's in the in the bookstore or online and wants to, you know, look at my book, the one thing if they have any any thoughts of joining the military, this would be the book for you because it takes you from day one through basic like if you want to know what basic training is like brad then read this book well we've, we've got to put an end to it here but do you have a website that you'd like to share um i do i've got i'm on uh, instagram uh, author bradley jones uh twitter um author bp jones um facebook is uh bradley dot jones um or bradley jones dot uh, three nine one four and I also have my uh, personal website, which is uh, authorbradleyjones.wordpress.com. Uh, and and uh, so my book's available on Inst or on uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble. It's on paperback, uh, Kindle, and uh, the audiobooks out. Well, thanks, Brad, and uh, keep up the good work.
Hey, thanks, Tom, for having me Hello on the there, show. Hello there, citizen. Take Darkwing care. Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop attorney generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov ag. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Settle down. Here's your drill instructor to welcome you to Paris Island. Here is Sergeant Jimenez. Okay. <laughs> Here is Sergeant Jimenez. <laughs> and I want to welcome all you no good, stupid headed knuckleheads to Paris Island. And that's the last kind words you'll hear from me. <laughs> now I'm going to let you guys know what's going to happen here. I'm going to take you and I will work you until you drop. And then I will work you some more. You are nothing now. You are just a bunch of spineless honey fishes. <laughs> I'm going to treat you rough. And you will get no pity from me. You're in the Marines now. Are there any questions? Sergeant. What, darling? <laughs> There'll be no questions. You got any questions, I'll give them to you. All right, we're going into training today. I will take you out, and you will crawl a hundred yards through the mud under the barbed wire with the machine gun bullet shooting over your heads. You will go to the fields filled with the boiling oil for another hundred yards. And after that, we'll start training. Now, during your training, we will observe the buddy system. Each of you will have a buddy. <laughs> Stay close to your buddy because your buddy depends on you and you depend on your buddy. You have to swim, stay close to your buddy and he will help you. If you are under fire, stay close to your buddy and he will save you. And if you get wounded, your buddy will kiss it and make it well. <laughs> Any questions? Sergeant. Shut up, darling. <laughs> I may be tough on you, man, but I'm going to give you a knowledge of everything I know, and I'm going to make tigers out of you, right? Right! Don't answer right. I'm going to make tigers out of you, so you got to roar. Now, roar! Yeah. Come on, roar like a tiger! Roar, roar again! Roar! Sergeant! What, pussycat? <laughs> Yes, man, I may be rough on you and tough on you, but someday, someday you will walk up to me and you will say, thank you. And I will say, you're welcome. <laughs> okay, one final word. There's only room for one sergeant in this outfit, understand? Now, if anybody here thinks that they can be the sergeant, Let's hear from them now. Has anybody got something to say? Yeah, I got something to say. What did you want to say, Sergeant? <laughs> I have only comparatively recently emerged from the United States Army 
so that I am now, of course, in the radioactive reserve. <laughs> and the usual jokes about the Army aside, one of the many fine things one has to admit is the way that the Army has carried the American democratic ideal to its logical conclusion in the sense that not only do they prohibit discrimination on the grounds of race, creed, and color, but also on the grounds of ability. <laughs> Be that as it may, some of you may recall the publicity a few years ago attendant upon the Army's search for an official Army song to be the counterpart of the Navy's Anchors Away and the Air Force's Up in the Air Junior Birdman and so on. <laughs> I, uh, I was in basic training at the time, and I recall our platoon sergeant, who was an unfrocked Marine. <laughs> Actually, the change of service had come as quite a blow to him because it meant that he had to memorize a new serial number which took up most of his time. <laughs> At any rate, I recall this sergeant's informing me and my roommates of, uh, <laughs> of this rather deplorable fact that the Army didn't have any official, excuse me, didn't have no official song. <laughs> and uh, suggested, suggested that we work on this in our copious free time. <laughs> well, I submitted the following song, which is called It Makes a Fellow Proud to Be a Soldier, which I think demonstrates the proper spirit, you'll agree. However, the fact that it did not win the contest, I can ascribe only to blatant favoritism on the part of the judges. of every man in our platoon must swell with pride for the nation's youth the cream of which is marching at his side for the fascinating rules and regulations that we share and the quaint and curious costumes that we're called upon to wear now al joined up to do his part defending you and me he wants to fight and bleed and kill and die for liberty. With the hell of war, he's come to grips, policing up the filter tips. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. When Pete was only in the seventh grade, he stabbed a cop. He's real RA material, and he was glad to swap his switchblade and his old zip gun for a bayonet and a new M1. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. After Johnny got through basic training, he was a soldier through and through when he was done. Its effects were so well rooted that the next day he saluted a good humor man, an usher, and a nun. <laughs> now, Fred's an intellectual, brings a book to every meal. He likes the deep philosophers, like Norman Vincent Peale. <laughs> He thinks the army's just the thing because he finds it broadening. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. Now Ed flunked out of second grade and never finished school. He doesn't know a shelter half from an entrenching tool, but he's going to be a big success. He heads his class at OCS. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. Our old mess sergeant's taste buds have been shot off in the war. But his savory collations add to our esprit de corps. 
To think of all the marvelous ways they're using plastics nowadays. It makes a fellow proud to be a soldier. Our lieutenant is the up-and-coming type. Played with soldiers as a boy, you just can't bet. It is written in the stars. He will get his captain's bars, but he hasn't got enough box tops yet. <laughs> Our captain has a handicap to cope with, sad to tell. He's from Georgia, and he doesn't speak the language very well. He used to be, so rumor has, the dean of men at Alcatraz. It makes a fella proud to be what as a kid I vowed to be. What luck to be allowed to be a soldier. Addies. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. This world you can't depend on anything The leaders that we follow They can't even write their name But here we are in America Ain't it just a shame How it goes on and on Our children growing hungry Teens are turning to crime And politicians know it's true But they ain't got no time out in America, nothing seems to change, it just goes on and on and on. There may be people who truly do care, maybe mighty, but still they lack the key. I pray that someday these people will finally declare that even heroes can do it all. To know the one you love is cheating That's the life in America Someone stop the train It can go on and on Ooh, and where's the Constitution When you need it to refer The things that are unlawful Have the papers all been burned Yeah, that's the life in America Should I still remain Or just go on and on and on
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 